Christian, don't ever forget the power of your influence. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. May God help us to be it. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part eight of The Power of Your Influence. We've been exploring Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, and the questions that we're presented with today are as follows. Are good works the sole mission of the church to the world? If not, What does the Bible say is the church's mission to the world? Well, in today's series conclusion, you'll learn the balance between your role as an individual Christian, being salt and light in your world, and the balance between your mission to the church if you're a Christian, and the role and mission of the church as a whole to the world. Open your Bible now and let's join Tom Pennington with today's message on The Word Unleashed. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews explains that a little more. You remember in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, he says, Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. He who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, of course, this issue was at the heart of the Reformation. Martin Luther argued that it is impossible for unbelievers to do anything that can properly be called a good work. Why? Because to be a good work, it must be done as an act of faith in the true God. Luther said, good works are works that flow from faith and from the joy of heart that has come to us because we have forgiveness of sins in Christ. So good works, then, can only be done by one who's already a Christian. There's a second important thing to learn about good works. Everything a Christian does, and here's the important caveat, if it is done for the glory of God, is a good work. Obviously not everything we do is a good work. We sin. We do things for the wrong motive, the wrong reasons. But everything that we as Christians do with an eye to the glory of God is a good work. It's an interesting verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 12 where Peter says we are to keep our behavior, our entire behavior, excellent among the Gentiles. So that because of our good works, as they observe them, they may glorify God. What's interesting about that verse is in context, you know what the good works are? The good works are avoiding fleshly lusts and submitting to human authority in all of its forms. It's not some great humanitarian effort. Everything we do, if done for the glory of God, is a good work. Again, I like Luther's take on this. He says, all the world talks about doing good. But do you want to know how you are to do good? Fear God and be just. In his terms, in other words, be justified. Be a justified man, a true believer. And then do whatever comes before you. This way, all will be well done, even though it is no more than loading manure or driving a mule. I love that. That's Luther, isn't it? You might be shoveling manure, but if you do it with with a view to the glory of God, here's a way for me to serve my Lord in the place he's put me doing what this menial work, then it is a good work. 
He goes on to say, I would pick the work of a Christian farmer or maid, even if it were very coarse, in preference to all the victories and triumphs of Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and other heathen. Why? Because here is God, there is the devil. So understand, everything a Christian does, if it's done for the glory of God, is a good work. Number three, although that's true, the Bible specifically identifies certain types of work as good work. Certain types of works as good. The Greek words that are translated good works in Matthew 5 verse 16 are used a number of times in the New Testament. And I'm not going to take you to each passage because we don't have time to do that, but let me briefly survey them with you. You can jot them down in your notes if you want to and look them up later, but this will fill out your understanding of what the New Testament means by good works, taking those same Greek words and tracing them through our New Testament. Let me give you the major part of them. These are most of them, not quite all of them, but pretty close. Matthew 26:10. Jesus said to the woman who anointed him, you remember with the oil for his burial? He said she's done a good work. That means worship is a good work. In John 10, verse 32, Jesus says, I've done many good works in my ministry. For which of these do you stone me? And of course, their response was, we're not stoning you for the good works you've done, but because you claim to be God. But Jesus was saying, during my ministry, in healing people and caring for people's needs, I've done many good works. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes that the work of an elder is a good work. But I want you to look at 1 Timothy 5 with me because Paul here defines some of what is meant by good works. 1 Timothy 5. He's talking about those widows that are to be supported by the church. Verse 9. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. Now watch verse 10. Having a reputation for, here's our expression, good works. Notice the word and is in italics in the New American Standard. That means it's added by the translators. So he just continues by saying, if she has. So what you have here is a a sort of brief list of what those good works are she's to have a reputation for. Here they are. She's brought up children. She's shown hospitality to strangers. She's washed the saints' feet. That doesn't mean a ceremony in the church. That means she's willing to do menial work on behalf of someone else. If she has assisted those in distress, the the Greek word for distress describes a full range of problems and trials in life, caring for people who are sick, visiting them in jail, uh, caring for them in the middle of the death of someone they love, etc. So all kinds of distress. And if she has devoted herself to every good work. Now the, the expression good work there at the end is different than the one at the beginning. You know what Paul's doing? He's saying, listen, this isn't an exhaustive list. Here are a few examples of good works. But if she's devoted herself to every kind of good work, so things like these, so these are good works. You go to verse 25 of the same chapter, potential elders are to have a pattern of obvious good works. Chapter 6, verse 18, wealthy believers are to be rich in good works. What that means is they're to be using their resources to help others. Titus chapter 2 verse 7, Titus as a pastor and a young man is to be an example of good works. And in the context, those good works are listed. 
purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. But I want you to look with me at Titus chapter 2. Here's another key reference. Again, we read this a few moments ago. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now you tell me in context, what are the good deeds? They're the opposite of lawless deeds. Deeds that are out of keeping with God's law. That means in context, good deeds are those activities and actions that reflect God's prescribed law. His word. In reality, the contents of the entire book of Titus illustrate what those good works are like. In fact, look over at chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I want those who have believed in God to be careful to engage in good works. Down in verse 14 of the same chapter, Christians must learn to engage in good works to meet pressing needs. In context, by the way, if you look at the preceding verse, in this context, good works, it's taking care of missionaries. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, says part of the reason we come together for corporate worship on the Lord's Day is to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. In other words, we encourage each other to love God, to love each other, and to do good works like the ones we've seen in the rest of the flow of the the New Testament. So, there's how the words good works are used in the New Testament. Now, there's a similar Greek expression that uses a different Greek word for good. Let me just highlight a couple of references. One of them is in Acts 9, verse 36 of Dorcas. You remember the woman in the church who had faithfully served others? In the New American Standard, it's translated deeds of kindness or something like that, but it's really another word for good. She did good works. And in that text, it's described as she made tunics and, and blankets and things for other people in the church. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, it's good works are described as helping the poor Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering through drought. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Because here, he's talking about unbelievers. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceful, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. These verses have to do with how we as Christians are interact with unbelievers. And one of the things we're told to do is to be ready for every good work. So those are what are called good works in Scripture. Now, I'm going to come back to that, but let me move forward with one other point before we do. One other point about good works. Our good works are never inherently good, but they are indicative of true faith. The good in any of our works is always of God. In fact, I love what John Calvin says. Not only our persons, but even our works are justified by faith alone. Do you understand that when we do good things... There are always defects in those things we do. It's always mixed with sin. We can never have perfectly pure motives. I've never done a single thing in my life from a perfectly clear motive, and neither have you. They're always mixed with sin. And so, 
If God ever receives something you and I do as good, it is solely by grace through the work of Christ. But our good works are one of the ways our light shines in the darkness. And, and this is key, the presence of good works in our lives proves that we have truly become Christians. Works don't save, but the kind of faith that is not followed by works is not true saving faith. If you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but your life is not characterized by good works, then it wasn't true saving faith at all. You're not a Christian. Again, Luther says, works are fruits and signs of faith. God will not judge by your name whether you were called a Christian, but he will tell you, if you are a Christian, tell me where the fruits are by which you can prove your faith. End quote. That's exactly right. So then, we are the light of the world. We're the light of the world by our character, by being a picture of Jesus in the gospel, by our works, by living out the implications of the gospel, and by our message, by proclaiming the gospel. What is the balance between those different ways our light shines? How do we balance being the right kind of person with doing the right kind of things with sharing the right message? And that brings me to one final point I want us to consider. Showing good works to the world is not the mission of the church. Showing good works to the world is not the mission of the church. So wait a minute. What about Matthew 5, verse 16? Well, the heart of this issue has to do with properly understanding the role we have as individual Christians versus the role and mission of the church as a whole. Let me say that again. You've got to understand the difference between your role as an individual Christian and the role and mission of the church as a whole. We can ask the question this way. Are good works the mission of the church to the world? What does the Bible say is the church's mission to the world? Basically, the church's mission is defined by a mission that is vertical to God. It's horizontal to the church itself, and it's outward to the world. To put it in its simplest terms, the church's mission includes God, the church itself, and the world. What is the church's mission to God? You look at the New Testament, it's to worship and to guard this truth right here, to guard and pass on this truth. The church's mission to God is to worship Him and to guard His truth and to pass it on to the next generation. The church's mission to itself, our mission to one another, is to equip the saints, to practice the discipline of the church, to encourage mutual edification, that is to build one another up in the faith, and to practice mutual care when believers are going through trouble of various kinds. That's our mission to the church. What is the church's mission to the world? Simply put, it is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Turn back to a familiar passage at the end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 28. Within two weeks of Jesus' resurrection, he ordered that all of his disciples throughout the land of Israel gather in Galilee. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, some 500 disciples gathered. And notice what Jesus said to them in verse 18 of Matthew 28. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Folks, that is the church's mission. That is repeated in other places in the gospel. It's also repeated at the beginning of the book of Acts, and that's what you see lived out through the church in the entirety of the book of Acts. That is the church's mission. Now, in case you think I'm the only one saying that in a world where there are other voices, listen to a few other voices. William Hendrickson, the great commentator, writes, It is the business of the church to shine for Jesus. It should not permit itself to be thrown off its course. The primary duty of the church remains the spreading forth of the message of salvation that the lost may be found. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great hope for society today is an increasing number of individual Christians. Let the church of God concentrate on that and not waste her time and energy on matters outside of her providence. D.A. Carson, a contemporary theologian, he writes, it's hard to ignore that many injunctions of Scripture to do good to be concerned with matters of justice, to show mercy, to care for the poor, to be concerned with matters of justice. If all such responsibilities belong to the church as a church, to the church as an institution, then surely the leaders of the church should take responsibility for them and direct them. But what we find in the New Testament is that the leaders were careful to carve out for themselves the primacy of teaching the Word of God in prayer. You know what Carson's saying? He's saying, look at the New Testament pattern. You don't see the New Testament pattern of the church involved primarily in humanitarian projects. John MacArthur writes, When people look to the church to end poverty, halt human trafficking, bring drinking water to Africa, or cure AIDS, they are looking in the wrong place. The church is not commissioned to do any of these tasks. In a book, a modern, a recent book, contemporary book that has been written that I would strongly recommend to you by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert called What is the Mission of the Church? They write this, In all our passion for renewing the city or tackling social problems, we run the risk of marginalizing the one thing that makes Christian mission Christian, namely making disciples of Jesus Christ. We believe the church is sent into the world to witness to Jesus by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations. This is our task. This is our unique and central calling. In fact, when we do good works, where are those works usually focused? On fellow believers. Galatians 6.10 So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In Matthew 25, you remember the judgment where Jesus says, I was hungry and you you fed me, and I was thirsty and you gave me to drink? He says this in verse 40, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them you did it to me. That's the issue. In Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Understand, the primary focus of our good works is to be other believers, but not exclusively to believers. There are Christians who believe that our good works should be solely directed to other believers. But that's not the teaching of the New Testament. Listen again to Galatians 6.10. 
So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to get there. In the end of Matthew 5, Jesus says, I want you to do good to your enemies because God does good to his enemies. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return. Then you will be like God. You will be sons of the Most High. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, do good for one another and for all people. Our good works to unbelievers, we are to do good works to unbelievers. It's to be primarily believers, but we are to do them to unbelievers. And when we do them to unbelievers, they're to be governed by two clear biblical principles. Number one, those good works are never to be an end in and of themselves, but are always to serve as a platform for the gospel. Listen, does it really matter if you alleviate human suffering and watch their souls slip into an eternal hell? That's the point, even in Matthew 5, verse 16. You remember? Jesus says, let your good works be seen. Let them shine. Why? So that they may glorify your Father. That's an evangelistic purpose. Bring them to the point where they glorify God. The second caveat on our good works to unbelievers is those good works are to be primarily the task, listen carefully, of individual believers and not the overarching mission of the church. The mission of the church, it's making disciples of Jesus Christ and equipping those who are. The church can be involved in good works. We're involved as a church in some, in some good works in our community, but never in any way that diminishes its primary mission or that ultimately the goal isn't to share the gospel with those whom we're helping. Now that doesn't mean that every time you help an unbeliever, you need to immediately in that context share the gospel with them. You may, that'd be great, but that isn't necessarily what it means. What it does mean is this though, in the context of your relationships with individuals and in the scope of your entire Christian life, you ought to be attempting to do all of these things and not just one or two of them. We are to be light by being the right kind of person in our character, by our good works, and by our message. And there needs to be a balance of those things. Listen, if all you do is live your Christian life in front of other unbelievers, and occasionally do something good for them, but you never open your mouth and share the gospel, you have not been a light to them. If, on the other hand, you walk around passing out tracts and sharing the gospel, and you're a terrible worker and you're pilfering from the company, or you're cheating on your tests, then you are undermining the very gospel you proclaim. All three legs of this stool have to be in place for us to truly be light. Christian, don't ever forget the power of your influence. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. May God help us to be it. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with the eighth and concluding installment of his series, The Power of Your Influence. Tom will begin a new series next time, and we do hope you'll join us then. But before we leave you today, here's Tom with some closing thoughts. Tom? You know, friend, let me ask you, as I've had to ask myself, 
Is this the passion of your life, to truly be a light where God has placed you? To be a light in living out the Beatitudes, to be a picture of Jesus and his gospel in how you live simply by being a Christian. To be a light in the good works that you do as an individual, the care and concern you show for others. Be concerned about the suffering and the needs of other people and to meet those needs. And then do you open your mouth to actually share the gospel? That's my prayer for you and for me, that God would enable us to be light in a dark place that would shine until the day comes. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.